you know, I'm working on a project, but Ozzy gives me a call and he wants this stat audit or, or just something of that sort. So there's a lot of small things coming throughout the day, um, which I would say has, um, you know, forced me to really get in the mindset of being able to delegate more to my team. And this is actually a golden nugget that I've gotten from you is that it needs to get done, but not by me. And I've been using that a lot more recently. Um, so when it comes to the small things, I've delegated a lot of those to the team um, and really like building up our management. Um, but when it comes to the big projects, you know, we work very well in those together because we really set everything on a specific timeline for when it needs to be done. Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. All right, so I've just wrapped up an amazing episode with Jordan Marksbury, who is the operations manager for the Growth Cave. And Jordan is one of the most talented operations people I've met. Uh, and he's only 20, which blows me away. They're running a company that'll do about $20 million in revenue this year, maybe a little bit more than that. He was employee number one. He's still the operations manager working with the two CEOs, running now a 43-person company. They're adding 10 more employees this month. You're going to love his um, mindset around growth, around leadership, around delegation, and even some of his thoughts around automation and leveraging technology. I think you're really going to love this episode. I was super excited to um, have him on as a guest, but just to sit and be able to learn from him and listen to what somebody who's only 20 years old is doing is really kind of extraordinary. We're also really excited that he is a COO Alliance member as well. So you'll enjoy the podcast. Hopefully we will have you listening to many more after this one as well. So Jordan, welcome to the Second Command Podcast. Thanks, Cameron. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. So I'm going to start with kind of what our viewers, if well, some of the people are actually watching on YouTube, many are, are listening on all the different channels. But if you're not watching, you won't see how young you are. And you uh, set the new record as our, one of our COO Alliance members. If a couple of years ago, I was really excited. We had a member who was 26. I'm like, it's amazing. Our oldest member is 62. Our youngest is 26. And then all of a sudden you came along and how old are you? I'm 20 now. When I had joined the CEO Alliance originally, I was 19, which maybe sounded kind of ridiculous, but yeah, I'm 20 now. Yeah, you're 20 years old. 19 did sound completely ridiculous, but you were just operating at a completely different level and you're running a real company. Like, How many employees do you guys have now? So we're currently at uh, 43. Actually, as of this morning, we just onboarded um, two new employees. Um, we're looking to bring on about 10-ish to our sales team in the next uh, month or so. So we're at 43 right now, but we're growing very quickly. Okay. So one of the things that we've, we bump into a lot with um, just COOs or seconds in command is the imposter syndrome, right? Where they wake up every morning, the company is kind of the biggest thing they've ever run. It just keeps getting bigger. And often leaders feel like they're not qualified to, to do the job or they're wondering how they got in the position is that something you struggle with and and you know to what extent and then how do you work through that yeah i think that's a great question and you mentioned earlier what would be a home run question i think it might be exactly this because i feel like i'm the perfect person to answer where you know i feel like coming into this role i just had no ego which is why i don't really deal with imposter syndrome too much and i remember when i had first joined the co alliance um that's kind of when it started to creep up and i'm i'm seeing all these other coos and i'm seeing all these people who um you know have hundred plus employees, they're doing hundred million dollars a year. And I was intimidated at first, but then I started attending the meetings and I was hearing the questions that they're asking. And I realized like, man, these people are dealing with the same problems that I am. You know, they're having the same problems with 
um, employees or, or tracking or just systems that they're using, you know, even like small things, I realize they're asking the same questions that I am. And that um, pretty much completely removed any like imposter syndrome feeling that I have. Um, but really going into the raw, I would say just having no ego and, and being somebody who is willing to learn really anything throughout the process, um, you know, has helped me a ton. And do you think you came into it with no ego because you you knew you were young and you knew you were doing something that was big? Or why do you think you came into it with no ego? I would say maybe because I had no expectation, um, especially when I had started in the role. You know, we were a much smaller company. I was I was literally employee number one, right? And now we have like 43 employees. So we've grown um, pretty quickly. Maybe it was just my expectations going into the role. But at the same time, I was really just a sponge, you know, and I was 19 when I had started in the role. So I was really just eager to learn any and everything possible um, just surrounding operations and, and the role that I was about to take on. Now, are you in college? Were you in college? Did you avoid college? What was your path there? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, I actually did go to college for a year and I was doing sales for two. So um, funny enough, my senior year of high school was right around the time of COVID and I had gotten into high ticket sales. So that's kind of what got me into this industry. Um, and I had done sales for two years and I did pretty decent at it. Um, and I had ended up dropping out of college, moving to Atlanta. And it was about six months into that journey um, that the company I was with just kind of crumbled apart. And I had never imagined myself in an operations role before. I'd actually applied um, and messaged Lucas, who was our CEO, to become a sales rep. And uh, you know, we did an interview and he was just like, hey, you know what? I think you might be good at operations. And so that's a really good judgment call on his end, you know, just seeing that potential in me. And obviously it spread into something great. You know, now we have 43 employees. We did 2.5 million last month and we're growing very, very quickly. Um, but yeah, he just kind of recognized that in me. So I did go to college. I ended up dropping out um, after having done sales for two years. And then I went into the operations role. What do you think he saw in you? What do you think he identified in someone that was young that he would, again, admittedly, the company was small and young at the same time, but what did he see in you that he entrusted you with some of the operations in the early days? Yeah, that's definitely a good question. And honestly, I, I wouldn't be too sure, but I would say, you know, like from, from my perspective, it might just be like the mindset that I had or the questions that I was asking. Um, and really like the eagerness I had going into the role because he did give me a choice. He said, you know, you can do sales. You'd be starting out as a setter, which didn't really interest me too much, or you can go into operations. And um, when I was at the company doing sales, I, I was kind of doing everything else as well. You know, we were very small. We were doing about 250,000 a month. There's only two sales reps on the team. And I was also, you know, managing like email marketing. Um, I was working through Zapier. I was building stuff on the back end, really just for fun. Like I wasn't getting paid for it, and that was something that had always interested me. Um, but I never really had it as like a uh, skill. So it was definitely something new. And I think Lucas just, um, you know, had that like spark of genius. He saw the potential, and uh, you know, it ended up working out. But I, I didn't really know much going into the role. So a lot of the stuff I've learned along the way. Has it been easy the whole time? Did it get hard at some point in the role? Where do you think things transitioned there, or or how they? Yeah, I think it's it's gotten hard at several points within the role, um, but that's kind of the uh, the transitional points that are, are really important. You know, when everything is going very easy and smooth, there's not a lot of growth happening. So I find that whenever I do have like a lot of pressure on me, or you know, I'm in a hard place, um, that's when the most most growth happens. You know, within myself and then within the company, and just me growing into this role. So where specifically have you grown, and where do you think you're struggling? Not struggling, but where are you growing today? Because I think as leaders, we're always growing, right? As the company scales, we continue to scale. So where have you worked on your skills? Where have you grown and what are you really working at today? Yeah, I would say me now versus where I was a year ago is a complete day and night difference. And you know, anybody in our company will tell you that, especially Lucas, because he's seen me since the very beginning. I would say it's really just, you know, changes in my mindset as like a leader and the way that I'm um, presenting myself to the team and the kind of the, the role that I hold with the team. You know, when I had first started, maybe it wasn't imposter syndrome, but I just didn't feel like I had the authority to do certain things. And you know, as we've grown, as we've hired more employees, as I've done 
hundreds of interviews, um, you know, th- that's changed quite a bit. So I would say it's really just like having more authority and, and stepping more into like that leadership mindset instead of just being another person on the team. And how do you face the kind of obvious, you know, the the elephant in the room, right? The Are most of your employees young, so the age doesn't matter? Or do you have any like, you know, employees that are in their 50s, 60s that are looking at you going, how am I reporting to you or reporting to someone who's reporting to you? So that's also a great question because um, I think about that all the time. And I think it's kind of funny because none of our employees are really around my age. You know, we have one other guy that was the guy that I was doing sales with before. Um, and he's also 20, right? So that's the only other one that's really around my age. You know, most of our employees, they're late 20s, um, you know, mid 30s. We have some in their 40s, almost 50s. Um, nobody quite there yet. Um, but I haven't run into a single issue with that. And that's why I think it's so funny is because, you know, I am 20, but yet all the employees under me, they have complete like respect, um, you know, for my authority and my decisions. And, uh, you know, we work very well together. So it's actually never been an issue, which I, I find very interesting, but I'm also very grateful for. I've, I've said for years that, you know, the 50 year old who's saying they've got 30 years experience has really got five years experience six times in a row. And that he's going to bump into a 25-year-old who's got five years experience and the technology experience to kick his ass. Do you think that's something that you're bringing to the table because of your age or that you you know, have just learned technology and are, and are bringing that into the company? Is that, what's, is that helping to keep you elevated? Yeah. I mean, 100%. I think that's what helped me land the role in the first place. So I think that I had kind of that skill set already, which is you know what got me here. And then I think the the mindset that I had developed throughout, you know, the beginning of the role is what got me to the next part of it, which is, you know, stepping into like that second in command position and, you know, leading the company, right? So, yeah, I would say that it's that I had that in the beginning, kind of combined with the other skills that I developed over time. But it, it definitely wouldn't have been possible without the uh, technical aspect and the technical skills that I had. So, what advice would you give somebody who's fifty that's showing up in the office on a day to day basis? What do they have to do to start getting ready for the next five years of their career? It's definitely a tough one, but I would say really just um, learning in as many areas as possible because you know the skills that I had technologically that helped me in this role are things that I had learned from kind of all over. You know, like I had uh, previously had like a reselling business where I sold sneakers, right? So I learned a lot of like spreadsheet stuff. I had um, you know spent like years editing videos and doing photography um, when I was in school, so I learned a lot of like the software side of things. And you know, there was a lot of little side things that I had done in the past. Um, where I was, you know, learning like one or two things that would lead into this role. So I would say it's just kind of, you know, taking everything from maybe those past like five year terms that you've had and um, applying those to the role that you have now. Because I realized a lot of the stuff that I had already learned or a lot of the stuff that I'd already knew um, was able to be applied to this, even if it was in a completely different like industry or niche or field that I was working in. All right. So a last question to kind of about the age related stuff and about the learning stuff is your parents. I mean, you've got you, I'm sure you came because you're a smart, a smart young man. I'm sure you came from a family that thought you were going to be kind of a university grad and and off to do your MBA kind of thing. What did mom and dad have to say about you dropping out of university after first year? They definitely were not very happy, and uh, I would say they they still aren't. You know, they still want me to go to school, um, but they are very supportive now. Um, so both of my parents were in the military. Um, can never really afford to go to school. So for me, it was kind of like the the precedent that you're going to go to school. You know, you're going to go get a college degree because we couldn't. Um, so I'm grateful that my parents, um, you know, were able to put me in a position where I was able to go to school for free because of the military and because of their support. Um, but I just really realized it wasn't for me. And, you know, they just kind of told me like, okay, that sounds good, um, but it's time to get out. So <laughs> I ended up uh, moving out right after I had dropped out of college, like that summer, moving to Atlanta. And uh, now I'm actually living in Austin, Texas. So they are very supportive. You know, it's been about two years since then. 
Um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely a, a fun, fun talk that we had had back then. So the whole story about, about, you know, Gen Y and Gen Z being unable to launch and unable to leave home is, is clearly not true because you're already done and out the door and, and off in your career. All right. Tell us about the company. What's Growth Cave do? Yeah. So Growth Cave, uh, we have a few different offers, but our main offer, our knowledge business accelerator, um, we really help coaches and consultants scale using YouTube ads. You know, we have a very simple process that we follow. Um, and Lucas, our CEO, he, he's really a genius when it comes to just scaling courses and YouTube ads in general. So we apply like a lot of our frameworks to their business. Really anybody that has an online coaching or consulting business, or maybe like an in-person one that they want to take online. I think um, one of our clients is a perfect example where he's had a sciatica clinic um, or just like a chiropractic clinic for like the last 30 years. Um, and he recently took his course online. And you know, I want to say he's doing six figures a month in sales. And that's you know using our templates and frameworks from taking his you know just small like chiropractic clinic, turning it into an online course of like how to relieve back pain, how to relieve like years of sciatica following this simple process. So really, we're applying our templates and our frameworks to you know different coaches and consultants businesses that are already existing. Right, and you guys are are in a space that would be kind of digital marketing, right? You'd kind of be a digital marketing agency of sorts. How do you say no to all of the other products and services that exist in the digital space and stay so niched? Yeah, I think we say no a lot because um, we know that what we have works. And we also know that what we have, we really excel in. Like I mentioned, Lucas is an absolute genius when it comes to marketing. And then on the flip side, we have Ozzy, Lucas's partner, who's an absolute genius when it comes to the mindset. And that's kind of exactly what our clients need. You know, They need the mindset portion because they're running a business full-time. And they also need the marketing to you know, be able to actually drive like the traffic and sales. So we know what we're good at and we just kind of stick to that. Now, what about working with founders? You've got, you've got two founders that you work with right now. How do you balance that? Yeah. So I think we have a really um, solid dynamic, you know, just with the three of us, um, you know, Lucas and Ozzy, I really look up to them in many, many different ways. And they've, you know, really been the, the two main people that have uh, just pushed me to like this level of growth. So um, we work very well together. And actually, um, funny enough, tomorrow we're all going to be in LA together. So, um, you know, we have a really good balance when it comes to just flipping a switch of, you know, being able to just kind of hang out and, you know, have a conversation at dinner that's not work related to, you know, the next day we're on our meetings, we're going over everything that needs to be done. But I would say a lot of the times, you know, Ozzy and Lucas, they they kind of just throw their ideas at me. And then from there, it's, um, you know, up to me to implement those and delegate them to the team. Okay. So that was actually what I was going to ask that you're fairly pragmatic and practical and fairly logical. It seems like you're also fairly systems focused mm -hmm. um, and you're dealing with two founders that are, well, one for sure that is very entrepreneurial very scattered uh, in and ADD in the most perfect way as an entrepreneur. And that would be um, would be Lucas, right? Or no, yeah, I guess Ozzy is probably the more scattered of the two, isn't he? Ozzy, I would say is definitely scattered when it comes to his ideas, but that's really where like the genius comes within our company, you know, just throwing ideas on the table. It's like the perpetual motion machine that he's just seeing all the opportunities. Exactly. How do you take all of those opportunities and decide which ones to work on now? How do you say, hey, those are great ideas, but not yet? How do you push back against that? How do you balance them all? How do you take care of them when they're coming at you so quickly? Yeah, I would say when it comes to the big ideas, those are things that we, you know, really sit as a team and work through together. Um, so, you know, we'll be on Zoom sometimes for for hours, just kind of working through these things, you know, laying out our plans for the next, you know, month, the next three months, the next year, um, or even where we see ourselves like five years down the line. So when it comes to those big things, you know, we try to lay them out more on a timeline. Um, but when it comes to the small things, you know, I'd say there's a lot getting thrown at me each day where, you know, Lucas will message me with this idea. Then we hop on a Zoom and Ozzy has this. And then, you know, I'm working on a project, but Ozzy gives me a call and he wants this stat audit or, or just something of that sort. So there's a lot of small things coming throughout the day, um, which I would say has, um, you know, forced me to really get in the mindset of being able to 
delegate more to my team. And this is actually a golden nugget that I'd gotten from you is that it needs to get done, but not by me. And I've been using that a lot more recently. Um, so when it comes to the small things, I've delegated a lot of those to the team um, and really like building up our management. Um, but when it comes to the big projects, you know, we work very well in those together because we really set everything on a specific timeline for when it needs to be done. How, how has your role changed over the last year, right? In the, in the growth that you've gone through, what's your role? Um, how's your role iterated or changed? I mean, my role has changed uh, like completely. It's, it's basically day and night from what it was. You know, I started out more of just like an operations assistant. Um, and, and really, it was just um, me stepping into the role of, you know, kind of managing everything internally. So when I had first started out, I was, you know, managing college for the sales team. Um, I was doing like, you know, stat tracking for our sales team. Um, I was helping on our client success meetings. I wasn't really helping too much with the client success side of things. I was really just doing the, you know, things that Lucas didn't want to do at the time. And I had just kind of stepped more into the role of, um, you know, working on bigger projects, taking on bigger tasks, and then over time coming up with my own ideas and implementing those things. So I would say, um, you know, over the last year, the roles changed quite a bit, especially because we've had to hire more people. So, you know, that's forced me to become more of like a leader and a manager at the same time. And do you think that was what has kind of elevated you in your role then was just taking more and more responsibility off the two founders plate so that it ended up on yours? Yeah, exactly. Because when I had started, you know, like I said, I was just kind of doing the things that Lucas didn't feel like doing. But over time, I started taking, you know, more of the things off his plate that, you know, maybe were pretty important. But, um, you know, it was more important for him to focus on like the marketing side, which is what he's really great at. So, yeah, I would say it's just as more responsibility came, I've adapted and um, really just improved myself throughout the process. And like I mentioned earlier, um, you know, without that, I, I wouldn't be here without like the mindset of like constant growth and constant improvement or having those hard conversations to force that. Um, I, I definitely wouldn't be here. So yeah, it would, it would just come with the responsibility that's been put on my plate. Hey, it's Cameron. Did you hear? That's right. I wrote another book. But this book isn't just another book for me. It's actually for you, the visionary CEO that is looking to grow and scale their business. This book is called The Second in Command, Unleash the Power of Your COO. As a founder and CEO, you're used to making all the decisions, but the business you have isn't the one you envision. Heck, we've all been there. And the thing is, you know what you need. You need a COO, someone who can help you build the company you don't know how to build on your own. The second in command is your go-to guidebook when you're ready to scale up. I go through all the details in every aspect of the process, from knowing when you need to hire a COO, through identifying and hiring the right candidate, and successfully onboarding and working with them and so much more. Go to CameronHerald.com forward slash new book to get your copy today. The second command reveals the benefits COOs bring to companies and explores the many ways a COO mastermind or a COO forum can help grow the COO skills. You'll meet the types of COOs and understand the role each type plays, discover how to bring on a COO into your company with the least disruption, and avoid common problems before they arrive. Once again, it's CameronHerald.com forward slash new book to grab your copy today. There's no need to go it alone. We're in this together. Now back to the show. So you've mentioned a lot about learning and the constant growth. Where do you learn? And, and I know some of what you said is by doing some of the different roles and stuff over the past, but is there somewhere that you turn to mm -hmm. for learning? Yeah, I would say I learn a lot from Lucas and Ozzy, but when it comes to things that I'm working on my own, I kind of just learn any and everywhere that I can. You know, I'm constantly um, looking to other members in like the CEO Alliance, for example. I'm constantly reading books. I'm constantly, you know, watching YouTube videos. Um, and honestly, looking a lot outside of our own industry, I think that's helped me a ton. You know, seeing how businesses that might be completely different than ours, like 
you know, Whole Foods, for example, a grocery store, obviously not running their business the same way as us. Um, but I look to a lot of other companies to see how they're running. And I think that has helped me a ton because I, I see that, you know, just similar to the CEO Alliance, they're dealing with like the same issues and they're asking the same kinds of questions that I am. So I would say it's really just like soaking up knowledge anywhere that I can. Where do you think your blind spots are right now? Where do you, do you have any ideas of where your, your current weaknesses are or stuff that you're going to need to start working on? Yeah, I would say one current uh, weakness that I've been working on more is just being more proactive rather than reactive, especially as we scale, you know, because there's small problems that pop up every single day. And it's easy for me to, you know, feel like I have to be the person that, you know, deals with them all myself, right? So uh, for me, it's just leaning more on the team that I have below me to get, you know, certain things done. So that way I can focus on, you know, making the company and making our managers more proactive rather than just being reactive to every little problem that comes up. But I would say that's been my, my biggest weakness um, that I've been working on recently. So you've mentioned the CO Alliance a couple of times as a kind of something that's been good for you and your growth. How are you going about e- extracting the most value from the CO Alliance? I mean, there's things that we do and we run, but how are you trying to draw the most from it? Yeah, I would say it's just asking you know any question that comes to mind, even if it seems small. You know, when I'm with my accountability group, for example, I'll, I'll just say, you know, how or why or why this or why not that. You know, even if they're questions where. I don't really know where I'm going. It just gives me more insight to like their thought processes. So, like I mentioned, even if you know another business in another industry um, isn't similar to us at all, I can still take a lot away from that. Same as if I'm asking questions to other COOs, right? Like I'm digging into the way that their mind works, the way that their um, you know thought process is going on certain topics that we're discussing. So, I would say it's just asking like as many questions as possible and, and really digging on those. Interesting. I I, um, I call it ideas having sex. That you take an idea from one area, idea from another area, and those ideas spawn into something else. Right. That they don't necessarily have to be a linear path. So you mentioned about kind of kind of leaning out into the future and and being a little bit more strategic and trying to I guess be more proactive with some of your decisions. How is it you're going about that? Yeah, I would say it's really just been more of a mindset shift. And uh, also, like I mentioned earlier, leaning more on the team below me. So, you know, we're constantly um, just focused on building like that middle management team recently, especially because, you know, we're growing to, you know, about 50 employees. um, And by the end of this month, we'll be over 50. So, you know, right now we're at kind of that um, inflection point of growth where we need to develop that middle management team because it can't just be Lucas and Ozzy and then me, right? We need to have other people in places to, you know, manage those lower level employees. So I would say it's leaning more on my team and then also just making that mindset shift of, you know, just focusing on being more proactive rather than reactive. So when certain situations come up, you know, getting them completed, but then also making sure that we're not having to deal with them again. Love it. One of the big struggles for COOs tends to be um, their CEO, right? Where where we have different personality profiles in our CEOs and and you kind of have to to lead them a little bit. So can you speak to how you've had to lead both Ozzy and uh, and Lucas? How have you had to you know influence them and, and kind of stick handle them a little bit? Yeah, I would say that we don't have much conflict on our management team, but in a way that I would have to lead them would be kind of just the mindset that I bring to the table, you know, because we're all very different personalities and avatars. And I, I would say that I think much more analytically. Um, you know, I'm I'm very like orderly, very clean, very organized. Um, and I'm thinking along like spreadsheets and numbers. So I would say that that's kind of what I bring to the table. Um, versus you know Ozzy, who just has you know his ideas and his visions for the company, and then Lucas, who's you know really a genius when it comes to like marketing and, and the business and you know really just growing the company. So I would say for me, it's just um, bringing more of like an aspect where. I'm, you know, just a different personality. I'm like more organized, 
um, more orderly. I'm thinking like along the lines of numbers. So I, I would say it's just the the conflicting personalities there that have helped us. I know one of the things that we, um, we've we done at the CO Alliance is the Colby profile. Do you know what your Colby A profile is? I actually don't. You don't? Okay. I'm curious if, if you do yours, let me know what it is. My gut is that you'll have a very high first two numbers. The first number is, is the um, it's kind of leading with asking a lot of questions. And the second is putting systems in place to initiate starting of projects that it's, it feels like you won't start a project until you've asked enough questions to truly understand it all. And then there's a system in place to scale it. Whereas somebody like Ozzy, it's like, I'll start now and plan later, which is again, the entrepreneurial way, right? So exactly. in mentioning that you have different personalities, have you guys done personality profiles, any of them as a team? And have you, or have you, how have you kind of diagnosed each other's different personalities and, and styles? So we haven't necessarily done specific personality tests. We had done one like a year ago and uh, Lucas had like ordered these tests, but we just found it, it didn't really give us, you know, too much of what we were looking for. Um, you know, I've done like the Myers-Briggs personality test. I honestly don't know what Lucas and Ozzy's personality um, types are, um, but, you know, it's it's very clear when we walk into a room, people kind of wonder like why we're together, right? You know, we have Ozzy, myself and Lucas, and we're just all completely different avatars, but we end up working really well together. You had to adopt your style or adapt your style a little bit? Or is it just more recognizing each other? Yeah, I would say no. I think it's because we're all so different that we complement each other in ways that really help the business grow, especially Lucas and Ozzy. You know, as, as partners, it's very important to have that. And then, you know, they can kind of pass their ideas down to me to implement with the rest of the team. So I think it's because we're so different that we do work well together. You know, if we were the same person, we would probably get in arguments all the time and, and then one of us probably wouldn't be here. So I would say I really haven't had to change too much. And one thing that Ozzy's really big on is um, really just polishing our employees, you know, not like changing who they are, not changing like what they believe, but really just taking off, you know, layers of, of baggage or, you know, past experiences that have held them down and showing them their true potential. So I would say it's, you know, I, I'm still me, but it's really just, um, you know, me being the best version of myself um, in the areas that I really excel. So just focusing on what I'm great at while they can focus on what they're great at. There's a, there's a leadership model out there where leadership teams kind of go through a model or a cycle and it's called the forming, storming, norming, performing model. That when you, you kind of forming is when you're getting together as a team, and then it's the storming where you kind of work through all the shit, and then you kind of develop these these kind of cultural norms and the ways that we do things. And once you figure that out, then you kind of just start performing to the next level. And it feels like you guys are at that stage now where you you all just understand. Do you have clear roles and job descriptions and reporting and org charts, or do you operate without those? Yeah, we definitely do. So, you know, we have clear division between our departments. We do have like an org chart um, and, and we are, um, you know, very serious when it comes to just making sure that expectations are very clearly outlined, or at least I am, you know, when it comes to like onboarding new employees, I don't want there to be any um, questions or confusions. And obviously like they can ask questions as they're getting onboarded into the role, but um, it's important to me to make sure that everything is very clear from the start. So that way there's no miscommunication. So what's, what are the different technology tools that you rely on? Yeah, I would say um, the biggest one just off the top of my head is, is really Zapier. You know, I'm, I'm big on automating everything inside of our business. And I, I probably have, you know, like over 250 different zaps that we use on the day to day. So we're on like the max Zapier plan using the max amount of tasks every single month. Um, but it gets things done very efficiently and it allows us to build um, pretty complex systems. And I would say personally, it's something that I enjoy because I enjoy just uh, it's almost like Legos, right? Like seeing how things get put together and work. And now there's going to be people listening that are like, what the fuck is a Zap and Zapier? And, and how do you have 250 of these things? So can you give us a couple of specific examples of things that you've done to automate or processes you've automated using Zapier? 
Yeah, definitely. So I would say a lot of it is in like different areas. So like one would be reporting, for example. You know, we have um, our CRM close that we use, just close IO, um, very similar to like Salesforce or any other like sales CRM. Um, a lot of our reporting is just done automatically through there. And it's funny because just yesterday, um, one of our employees was out and I was having to go through and do the reporting myself. So I was having to do it manually for the first time in, in probably like eight months. And it took me like an hour, right? It was kind of ridiculous where every day Zapier, it triggers and we get that notification inside of our Slack channel. Um, and you know, it just does it by itself, right? So I would say, you know, when it comes to reporting, it's made my life a whole lot easier because, you know, every single day at 9 a.m., you know, we get a sheet showing exactly like what our stats were for the day before or what our stats are for the month. So when it comes to reporting, it's definitely been a huge time saver. And then also uh, on the client management side, at different check-in points or when they've signed a contract or when they've booked like an onboarding call, for example. Um, that way we can really just make sure that all of our clients are completing certain action items. Um, and then for our client success team to identify like, oh, maybe this client didn't sign the contract right after they just got signed up three days ago. We need to follow up with them so they don't slip through the cracks. So I would say on the client success side, it's really helped with making sure that everything um, is running smoothly and that no clients are slipping through the cracks. I, I was talking to my assistant Meredith the other day and I said, Mer, I think we need to get somebody to come in and do an audit of our business somehow and figure out what kinds of systems we could start automating using Zapier. Um, and she goes, oh, we do. We've got a bunch of them. And I'm like, how many? She's like 10 or 12. I'm like, yeah, we're not even getting started. And I said, Jordan, I made up the number. I said, Jordan's got somewhere between 100 and 150 apps already set up. Like we're missing something. We're missing something. So where does a company get started if they don't have the person in place who's got the kind of aptitude or skill set around this? Where do they get started at kind of doing a, an audit of the business? Or how, how do they approach getting some things automated? And how do you decide, secondly... How do you decide what to automate and what to just continue manual because it's not worth the squeeze? Yeah, I would say it's, it's really anything that you're doing um, repetitively, anything that you're doing either daily or weekly or something that happens you know, more than one or two times and takes your actual input. Like, especially as somebody that's running a company, you, know, you, you, can't, you, you can't be updating spreadsheets for multiple hours per day. So that's like a very easy thing to you know, automate when it comes to connecting Zapier, for example, to your CRM. So I would say it's just identifying like what things you're spending unnecessary time on, not necessarily projects, but you know, more of like those small tasks. And a lot of people, they, they kind of jump to like, I want to hire a VA or I want to hire an assistant to take care of these things. Um, but I think a lot of money gets wasted because really, you know, what I, from what I've seen, at least a lot of these processes can be automated without having to have another person or another job. So if you don't have a person internally that knows how to do this or where to go, where, where do you start? Do you go hop on Upwork and go find somebody? What do you look for? Walk us through if, if we don't have a Jordan working for us, where do companies go? Yeah, I would say hop on YouTube. You know, Like I mentioned, a year ago, I started in this role and I didn't know a ton about operations, um, but I had learned a lot of it along the way. So I had a, a basic understanding of like Zapier and what it did at the time, um, but I had actually never set up a Zap before I started working at Growth Cave. And that was in February of uh, 2021. So a lot of this stuff is is what I've learned like over the last year, and I would say I have gotten pretty good at it. But you know, most of the beginning of it, at least, was from you know YouTube and just reading certain articles. And uh, I would say there, there's trial and error that comes with it. You know, there's times where I'm banging my head on the desk wondering why something doesn't work. Um, but you know, when you work through those things and you use the resources at your fingertips, um, it, it just makes your life a whole lot easier. So I would say learning these things yourself is important because if you hire like a freelancer or someone to come into your business, you know, they can build everything for you, but then you're going to have no idea how it actually works or functions. So I think it is important as a skill to learn yourself, especially in today's day and age where, um, you know, where everything's just growing so quickly and Zapier is releasing updates, you know, every single week, I would say it's, it's almost up there with like chat GPT and like its possibilities. So it's definitely an important skill to learn yourself. That's interesting. Yeah. You can't outsource something that now you just, you just have to know how to do it. 
Exactly. That makes a lot of sense. Um, it, and it is interesting how I was talking to somebody recently. They said they needed to go hire. It wasn't a VA, but they needed to hire somebody. And I'm like, wait, the thought process you need to go through first are, do we need to even continue doing these tasks? Like, can we just stop them completely? If we're going to continue doing these tasks, can they be optimized? And then can they be automated? Because there's no point in automating a bad system. So you need to kind of optimize the system first and then automate the system. And then if you can't automate it, then you outsource or delegate. Is that kind of the mindset that you go through as well? Or how do you approach things? Yeah, I would say one mindset that I've I've definitely kept over the last like six months is just being more resistant to hiring. Because I, I think um, you, you've mentioned this a couple of times that a lot of CEOs, they're just like very quick to like, I want to hire. You know, a lot of CEOs too. They're like, we just need to put somebody in this position. We just need to pay them X amount per month. And that's a really big expense. You know, even if you're hiring a virtual assistant, let's say you're paying them $2,000 a month. I mean, that's a $24,000 a year commitment. If they're at your company for five years, you know, you're paying like 125 grand to an employee. When if this is a process that could have been automated, you know, it might've cost you a couple grand, right? Over like the whole course of five years. So I would say it's just being resistant to, you know, spending more money. I'm definitely um, very frugal thinking when it comes to just, you know, the company and even just in my personal life. Um, but, you know, I, I would say it's just being resistant to those things. And, you know, also I do have the mindset of like wanting to automate everything. So that's kind of the first thing that comes to my mind. I just look of like, what can we erase or what can we automate? It's amazing. All right. So the growth of the organization, you came in as employee kind of number one, you're now at 43, you're hiring 10 more the next month. What's changed in terms of the way that you're operating as a leader? You know, what's substantially changed in the last 12 months? I would say what's substantially changed is that now I, I am a leader and now I have to be a leader because when I first started as employee number one, um, you know, it was just me hopping on with Lucas or our, you know, newly hired second hire client success person or our sales team, right? So it, there was very little, we had maybe like six employees after my second month there. So um, there was like very little interaction when it came to management. It was just Lucas, right? So the difference is that now I, I do have to be a leader. You know, now I have teams under me. Now I have people that look up to me. Now I have people messaging me every single day. So I can't, you know, just like log out because there's people that rely on me. So I would say it's that I've actually had to step into that role. What about strategy? Are you and um, and the two CEO, co-CEOs, do you guys spend much time in strategy, like kind of what if scenarioing uh, in the future? And and how do you approach that? Yeah, I would say that's a lot of uh, of Lucas and Ozzy. And, you know, I hear a lot of that from them. Um, but really, that that's that's kind of like their expertise or, or where they they think and where they communicate the most. And then what's and then your expertise is just understanding the strategy or understanding the vision. How do you get on the same page with them on vision? Yeah, I would say I get on the same page with vision by just being, like I mentioned earlier, um, more kind of statistical and operational with it. You know, like how are we actually going to get this done, or like what things do I need to do to bring their ideas to life? So I would say really anything that they give me, anything that they tell me, the first thing I'm thinking of is like, okay, what's you know step number one. And what's step number 10 in order to get it completed? What needs to happen in the middle? So I'm kind of always thinking along the lines of like, what needs to be implemented in order for these ideas that Lucas and Ozzy are bringing to the table to come to life. And you've never worked in a classic office environment where there's employees coming and going nine to five, you know, five days a week kind of thing. Yeah, not at all. Do you think that your company is missing anything from not having that? Or how are you making sure that you have culture and communication and keeping people on the same page and knowing people are working on, how are you doing that and operating that way as a remote company? Yeah. So like you mentioned, I mean, I, I don't know what it's like to be in an office, so I, I wouldn't know the difference. Um, and I would say we have a really good team dynamic, um, even though we're all virtual, you know, for our sales team, for example, I mean, they're, they're really all, you know, die hard. Like they love growth cave. They love our vision. They love what we do. And they're all very committed and same with our client success team. And, you know, we really 
kind of throw them the bone, give them new opportunities to grow within their personal lives and their professional lives. And, you know, they really step up to the plate and, and we see a lot of improvement in our team. So I would say when it comes to the culture is that, you know, we, we focus a lot on helping our employees like improve their personal lives because it reflects in their work, right? Whenever, you know, an employee, for example, is, is moving out of the country, right? Wanting to move from like South Africa to the US, for example, that's a huge, huge ordeal. And, uh, you know, a lot of companies, they might just be like, okay, cool. You can have like a week off, but for our case, you know, we want to make sure that we can like uplift these employees and, and we can, you know, just give them, give them more than they've gotten in other roles. And like I mentioned, you know, I haven't worked in a typical office environment, but you know, we are really largely focused on helping everybody that works at Growth Cave, you know, improve their personal lives because we know that's going to reflect on their work. I love it. All right. I've got a question for you that I've never been able to ask anyone before, because whenever I wrap up these episodes, I tell people that if they could go back and give their 20-year-old self some advice, what would it be? I mean, that's a ridiculous question because you're 20. So I'm going to flip this question and I'm going to say, what advice would you give your 40-year-old self that you don't want to forget that you know is working today that you believe will be working 20 years from now? What do you want to tell your future self? Yeah, I would, I would really just tell my future self maybe to, to slow down a little bit and enjoy, enjoy the time that I have now. You know, you're only going to be 20 once. Um, I, I, I do enjoy being 20 and I enjoy you know, where we're at in the company, but I'm also very eager for you know, the growth that we're experiencing and the growth that's to come. Um, and I really do see the vision. And I know that when I'm 40, I'm going to look back and be like, man, if, I was, if only I was 20 and we had only 40 employees and you know, we were much smaller and I, I could go back to that time. So I know that one day I'm going to be looking back upon this time and, and really cherishing it. So I would really just tell myself to, to slow down and enjoy it, smell the roses a little bit. And that's actually something that Ozzy tells me all the time is you know, just, just take a step back smell the roses and, uh, you know, just kind of enjoy where you are. It's great advice. I hope you heed it. I hope you, um, you remember it when you're 40. Yeah. I said easier said than done when you're talking to a uh, 20 year old. No, no, it's not like it. Cause I think if you can allow that to sink in and it'll become part of your DNA. So it's, it's a great lesson for yourself. Jordan Marksbury, the operations manager for growth cave. Thanks very much for sharing with us on the second command podcast. Yeah. Thank you, Cameron. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.